Hi, and welcome to Conduct Her, where we are two sisters on a mission to amplify female voices on the podium. Join us as we interview leaders in the field of choral music, share resources, and build a community for current and future teacher conductors, all while exploring the gender divide. I'm Kira Starr. And I'm McKenna Stenson. And we are Conduct Her. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Conduct Her podcast. We are so glad that you're here joining us today for our third uh, podcast interviewee, the one and only Dr. Mary Hannah Klontz. Woo! You may know her as our mom. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so just like uh, we've done in some of our past episodes, we're going to read a little bit of the bio of our amazing interviewee. And so I'm going to kick it off. So again, uh, this is Dr. Mary Hannah Klontz. She currently teaches at Charles J. Colgan High School, uh, which is a magnet school for the fine and performing arts in Manassas, Virginia. She received her doctorate in choral conducting woo -woo, uh, from George Mason University and a master's in French horn performance from the Eastman School of Music, which is casually fantastic. Um, she has her undergrad degree also in French horn um, and music education, and then not to um, be a show off here, but she has minors both in piano and voice from the University of Akron. So um, an overachiever amongst good company. Dr. Klontz began her career as a professional horn player, but her love of teaching drew her into a career in education where she has taught at every level from pre-K to college. She credits her studies in creative motion with her musical success, and ensembles under Dr. Klontz have received the highest accolades and been invited to perform at the Virginia Music Educators Conference, the White House, the National Cathedral, and the Millennium Stage of the Kennedy Center. In addition to all of those amazing things, uh, she's also an active clinician, vocalist, and composer. Uh, she's an amazing piece titled Point Me to the Stars that is published with Hal Leonard as part of the Henry Leck Choral Artistry Series. Um, it was recently, slight tag, performed here in Texas with the North, North Texas Children's Choir, so which is great. Um, she is also the editor of a new edition of Arnold Schoenberg's De Profundis, Psalm 130, Opus 50B that is available as a digital download, a PDF, or an MP3. So to learn more about her, we're going to put her website up on our social media. Um, but let's uh, welcome Dr. Mary Hannah Klontz. Yay! I am so excited Recording to be here in progress. with you today. Thank you for the invitation and thank you for being who you are. It's just so exciting. <laughs> I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for being who you are, Mom. <laughs> 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 uh, we knew when we started this podcast that we would need to interview you for sure. So I'm I'm hoping that our audience enjoys getting to know you a little bit and getting to hear like from one of the most important people in our lives. So thank you again for doing this. We're so happy to have you. Well, we have Thanks, a sweeties. Bit. We have uh, some introduction questions, which uh, we're excited to launch into. And then a few questions, which you have not seen yet, but no need to fear. Uh, they are all wonderful. <laughs> and we're really excited to ask them. So Kira, do you want to dive in with our first question? Yes. All right. So question number one is, tell us a little bit about your upbringing and how you came to choral music. 
I grew up in a small town in Ohio with one high school, and there were 100 in my graduating class, so it was pretty small. So any musical um, excitement pretty much happened throughout uh, the public schools there. I was in band and choir um, my whole time in that small high school and um, took private lessons and just really loved um, loved music and loved my music friends. And it was um, there that the seeds were planted for my love of choir because I really had a terrific choir director, Carolyn Warren. But in the end, the French horn won out. Um, there are a lot of uh, singers out there, especially those who can sing the Little Brown Bird, which was my first solo, um, but they're not as many horn players. So I was able to get a nice scholarship to the University of Akron as a French horn player. I didn't even realize music was a possibility for a career until my music teachers said, hey, what are you going to major in? Maybe you think about music. Uh, it was not a popular idea when I brought that up at home because um, my parents hadn't really ever encountered anybody who majored in music and it didn't seem like a good career to them at first, but they came around. Um, and so as a horn player, I then also continued to sing in choir. You heard that I minored in voice and piano. So I kept singing and I think singing is what made me a better horn player actually. Um, accessing my head voice helped me with some of those high notes up there. But then fast forwarding, I, I, I got a master's in French horn. I got a job playing uh, in Israel in an orchestra um, and was really enjoying full-time career and playing in orchestra, except that I really wasn't enjoying it because I thought I should be doing something else at that time. So I had to make a big decision. Uh, and when I came back to the States, I decided to be a teacher and I ended up teaching choir. So mom, or Dr. Mary Hennick-Lance, we'll call you both today, you kind of just breezed through the whole, I'm sorry, you you were part of a professional orchestra overseas. Would you like to, would you like to share a little bit more about what, what that orchestra was? Uh, sure, I'll be happy to do that. So um, at the time, this was before the internet, and um, auditions were posted in a newspaper called, it was a union newspaper. And they saw that there were going to be auditions in New York City for this orchestra in Israel. And so I sent in my tape, as we did back then, through the snail mail. And I got an invitation to come and audition. Um, there was also a trumpet opening, which is one of the things that excited us as a couple, because my husband uh, is a trumpet player. But then um, they actually didn't need a trumpet player in the end. They were there was going to be another year, but they said we liked him on the tape. So if we take you, we'll take him too. And then I went to New York and I played a really great audition and I got offered this opportunity to go and play for two years in the Israel Sinfonietta. It was a two-year contract and they'd pay your way there and pay your way back. And it seemed like a win-win. And it all was in the end, although... Um, going to a foreign country where you don't speak the language and it's uh, a religious state and you're not that religion is a bit of a challenge. Um, but I do have a knack for languages. And so along the way, I picked up Hebrew and um, was able to really enjoy living there and working in Israel. That is so cool. Just casually learns the language when she's there. Amazing. And that I feel like is one of the things that was super pivotal to your existence as, as a human, not only just as a musician, but I feel like that experience really shaped you. And I know growing up, you talked about Israel a lot with us. And I think that, I don't know, that's so cool. Just from small town, Ohio, just truly crossing the ocean. I, I bet that was scary and exciting. <laughs> 
You know, Kira, you are right. It was really pivotal. Um, it didn't end up being pivotal in terms of launching my career as a horn player, although it could have. But um, it was pivotal in terms of life experience. Uh, I became really good friends with uh, some Israelis there that I'm still good friends with. And um, I learned what it feels like to be a minority. I was not a minority that was um, in any way discriminated against, except that I could feel it. You know, um, for instance, at that time, a woman was not allowed to have her own bank account. And um, so where was I to put my paycheck? So that became an issue at the bank. Um, and being a, a Christian in, in a Jewish state meant that I, I had to seek out a place if I wanted to have a worship service of my own, which I did, but also came really um, just enamored with the Jewish faith and understanding a little bit more about the roots of Christianity and just, um, you know, watching them disarm a bomb out in front of your apartment really puts life in perspective for you. And you just really <laughs> say, I'm very grateful for my safety and for my freedom. Well said. I bet, too, this perhaps might have influenced your dissertation topic that would come around a couple years later. <laughs> It sure did because I, I love Hebrew and it's very strange. Um, I don't know where that love comes from, but I just really uh, am in love with the sound of it and with the, the expression of it. And so when it came time to choose a dissertation topic, I had researched a piece um, that I had chosen because it had a Hebrew text. And um, then that did that launched the whole dissertation. And I think growing up in this amazing household was such an inspirational woman and our dad is phenomenal too. He's just not being featured today on the Conduct Her podcast, um, but just wanted to make sure he got a shout out. Uh, but I know growing up, um, just hearing your lived experiences and the way that you encouraged us to go after the unknown um, and encouraged me when it was time to think about studying abroad, even though it was a little scary um, at the time, you said, it's you got to go, you have to do it. It's pivotal. Um, and so you and those experiences really have been um, instrumental for us as your daughters. So, and I know for all of the, the maidens that you have interacted with over the years. Um, and I know that this sort of is a segue um, into our next question. So what events or event was inspirational for you to choose your career as a choral music educator? Okay, well, um, this is going to sound kind of not good, but um, when I was playing in the orchestra, the um, I was playing first horn in the chamber orchestra and we play high notes all the time. And as a horn player, or you've probably worked with horn players and heard them, we occasionally miss a note. And so um, my conductor was an amazing musician, but very old school and a bit of a tyrant. And so I missed one of the notes in a horn solo. And the next day at rehearsal, he announced that I would stand up and play that passage 12 times perfectly before I could sit down and before we could go in with rehearsal. And um, I did it and I proved, proved that I could do it. And I stood up to him. Um, no other musician was ever asked to do that in my time there. So I don't know what that strong motivation was other than um, maybe I was a female principal player and he was trying to test me. He may have just said, I, I need her to learn how to do this without a mistake. May have had none of nothing to do with that. 
But I just thought I, I already didn't love just sitting down and playing all day. Um, I, did, I didn't realize it until that time that I'm a very active person and sitting all day was hard for me. And so that kind of was the event that said, I don't think this is right for you anymore. And um, I started teaching there in the conservatory. It wasn't choir, it was band, but I had sworn I did not want to be a teacher. I told all my professors, I'm only doing this for the degree. I don't want to be a teacher. I do not want to do that. And they kept saying, but you're a natural. You can do this. You should do it. And I, nope, not going to do it. Well, I fell in love with teaching um, there, teaching the, the middle school band um, in Hebrew, mind you. And uh, when time came back to go to uh, back to the States. My husband started on his doctorate. I sought out a, a teaching job full time. And that job um, was doing middle and high school choir, general music, orchestra, fine arts appreciation, and anything else that happened along. Um, it was a great chance to use all my skill set. And I, in the process, I just fell in love with choir. I fell in love with the change that happens when you're singing text and when you're um, making meaning uh, with us, with a group of people in a way that's really personal and individual and with something about the voice, it is just, there's no hiding behind an instrument. Your whole self is your instrument. So I think that's what brought me to me teaching choral music, but I will also say that it was pivotal in, in my um, university years at University of Akron that Robert Shaw came and worked with our choir twice while we were there. We combined with the local symphony and symphonic choir, and he was there to work with them. And I was just in awe of the kind of musicianship that he demonstrated and then he got from the group. So I will credit Robert Shaw as well. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> well, that's a great segue, Mom, into our next question. Um, which is who or and or what was helpful and influential in your journey? Okay, well, I'm going to start off by saying that the two of you were incredibly helpful and influential in my journey uh, in lots of different ways, and I'll come back to that. But um, while I was there in Israel, for the first time, I had a female orchestra director and a female director of any kind almost at all um, and she commanded such respect and made such great music with us and that was Joanne Valletta and that was kind of a turning point for me to say no wonder I don't like sitting here I want to be her I want to be the one that's leading this whole thing and um, that was kind of revolutionary at the time to have female conductors um, that was back in the early 80s so um, she was very important. I never got to really talk to her and she would not know me from Adam, but it's amazing how sometimes we do have that effect on people that we never actually get to talk with, that we've been in contact with. And so we need to take strength in that. Other people that were really influential, um, I'm going to say my, my mom um, in particular, because she didn't really want to be a working mom. She wanted to stay home and be a housewife and mom. But in order to provide for music lessons and instruments and the other things that we kids wanted to do outside of the norm, she went back to work and she made sure I had those opportunities and she encouraged me every step of the way. She still does. Um, as I was. Uh, then going through school, I had um, not really choral mentors at, at the time, um, but when I was an adult working, I, I did. So I'm going to say um, 
Frank Heller, who was involved in creative motion with me and used it in choir music, gave me so many ideas to take back to me um, in my high school teaching. So Frank Heller, who's since passed away, but was an amazing musician in Louisville. Also in Kentucky, because we ended up in Lexington at UK, um, was Vince DiMartino, not a choir man, but an incredible musician and an incredible person who just always said, Mary Hannah, you've got what it takes. You should just go do it. And to try and give me the confidence that I didn't always have, or maybe still have. Um, Don McCullough um, was my director when I sang in this his pro choir, the Master Crowl of Washington Chamber Singers. And he was an amazing role model as well as someone who would um, give me the baton and say, I'd like to go back and listen. Can you conduct this for me? Kind of like just on the whim, like, hey there, I know you can do this. And when I conducted, it was like magic. I got to sing with pro, you know, conduct pro singers. And they would say, you know, you did a few things a little differently than Don. And we like both, but it's letting you know that you can do some things with this. So that was very encouraging to me as well. Um, I decided that I needed to actually learn how to conduct because I never really had much in the way of conducting. So I started taking lessons and I took lessons with Dr. Lisa Billingham, who studied Laban and her work with Laban influenced me and really connected nicely with my creative motion. And she said, you know, you could be getting a graduate degree with this, uh, not just paying for private lessons. Why don't you come and get your degree at George Mason, which they had just started up. And so I did. And that I think... Um, was sort of the icing on the cake was actually learning uh, different technique and getting to do recitals uh, with pro singers. Uh, I and really um, enjoyed getting to lead the chamber choral of Fredericksburg. And so um, Patty Kearns was the president then. And she said, hey, we're going to hire you. And so I think she encouraged me as another um, woman and another professional um, in this career. I've probably left out some important people, but those are some of the ones that uh, I can mention at the moment. Oh, and when I started um, taking uh, students to honor choirs and started taking you girls to honor choirs at ACDA, then I got to see female um, directors up there on the podium that were really inspirational to me, like Sandra Snow and Hilary Appelstadt, Lynn Gackle, uh, Christina McMullen, just to name a few. So uh, Andrea Ramsey, can't forget her. <laughs> well, in case, I mean, you couldn't see us friends, but we're just over here, just like giving fist pumps and slow claps in the <laughs> air uh, for our mom <laughs> and incredible professional musician. Um, so just to give a, a little recap, basically, we just heard that she was a professional instrumentalist, a professional vocalist, a professional conductor, and a doctor of uh, choral conducting, but also just a master teacher um, and a master clinician in um, all different spheres of musical outlets. Uh, so you kind of already answered our first surprise question for you, which was talking about the first time you saw um, a professional female conductor and sort of the reaction that you had. And so since you've covered that, we're gonna segue into our second question. Um, so we're gonna ask if you could describe your first experience as a choral director. Uh, so specifically that transition from instrumental into choral and what made that experience um, so fulfilling? Well, my first experience um, as a choral director was at Sayer School in Lexington, Kentucky. And I taught both middle and high school um, choirs separately in the day. And um, 
I was probably not really very good at it yet, but I was passionate about it. And I was passionate about every student really learning to use their voice and to blend and to, to create art, you know, to take a risk. Um, and so I don't think gesture was my greatest friend, but enthusiasm and a good listening ear, that musicianship to be able to say, nope, you're on the wrong note. Let's fix that for you. Um, so I had to really grow in my actual technical skills quite a bit, but I think I always had it from the get-go in my heart. By the time um, I got to um, teaching high school at uh, Washington Lee University in Arlington, I had gained a little bit more um, uh, skill sets along the way from watching conductors mostly. And I would, every single honor choir, I'd just go in and I'd take copious notes. And eventually, you know, when cell phones came along, I would like film some of their warm-ups and some of their um, conducting to, to kind of copy it actually. And um, by the time I got to Washington Lee, I knew a little more what I was doing. And it was just, it was just a great joy to be able to mold students through the choral experience and, and to create a family. So I think that's one of the things that I'm really good at is right there, being a, being a family. And we learned to uh, adapt everything that she's saying. And uh, I know I can't speak for Kira, but I just came back from some conferences with some pages of notes <laughs> that I took watching conductors and going to sessions. And um, it's, it's neat to see that passed down. Same here. You can also probably tell from our mom's answers that she is very organized and intelligent. And <laughs> I think a lot of our uh, organizational skills that we pair with that creative brain came from you, mom. So always setting a great example. Maybe, maybe some came faster than for others. <laughs> some of us are still striving. It's hard when you have two that are so good at it. I feel like I'm a close third. I'm trying. <laughs> you, you are great, McKenna. You have your own system and that's all that matters. <laughs> Well, I have the system, right? I just, yeah. Uh, all, all good things. We have a solid family of proofreaders and uh, helpers in many ways. <laughs> all right. So our next question for you, mom, is we know that you sacrificed a lot for us, especially in regards to your own career goals. So would you mind talking about that a little bit and specifically what were some of the most challenging decisions you faced when balancing your family and your professional career goals? Okay, that's a good question. And um, whatever sacrifices happened along the way had a purpose and a reason, and um, there you two are as proof. So I think the biggest one um, was that I was going along pretty well teaching high school with one baby and no family around. At the time, I was also still playing um, freelance stuff on my French horn, and that was all really cool and having a good time with that. But then um, second baby, my delightful Kira, came along. And um, so shortly after she was born, um, we took a spring trip, my coral trip, with Paul, my husband, there. Me still nursing you, Kira. Um, <laughs> and giving you a bath in the hotel uh, sink. Um, and then it, it was the catastrophe that happened on the trip and somebody ended up in the hospital and then dad had to go with the rest of the trip to the park. It was crazy. So um, none of that was your fault, babe. <laughs> 
I was just there in but, the bath. <laughs> I also but, totally remember this trip and I remember nothing about those things. I just remember being on the park and like getting to play in the rides. So big success from your four-year-old. And McKenna had a great, great. time. <laughs> well, um, it was a little rough um, behind the scenes, but we all survived. Um, and then shortly after that, your dad got a promotion and then was going to be doing a lot of traveling as part of the Herald Trumpets. Um, before that, he'd been a member of the um, ceremonial band, but the Trump, the ceremonial trumpets were like the hot shots and they were getting invited everywhere. And um, it was getting pretty hard to to keep everything going and stay healthy, actually. And so um, I developed a condition where I was going to have to have some thyroid surgery. And the doctors were all saying, you got to slow down. You got to slow down if you want to make this in the long haul. So I decided um, that I would teach elementary music instead. And I left my high school position. And oh, it was heartbreaking because you build those relationships. And I'd been there six years and things were really going great. But they were only going great on the outside. On the inside, they were not as great. And so um, I also didn't have the greatest principal at the time. He's passed away now, so he won't hear that. Um, <laughs> so I was going with us. for some different leadership. <laughs> yeah. And so I knew that the assistant principal um, who had been at my high school was an amazing principal. She was at, the, at an elementary school that had an opening. And so I decided to go teach there, thinking that it was going to be easier. So the thing that was easier is that, that we didn't have all the bake sales. We didn't have the, the, the trips to the parks. We didn't have all the extra stuff on the weekends. And that um, was helpful in terms of our family and the things that we wanted to do as a family and for you two as girls. But um, in the process, like I had no experience with general music. None of my student teaching was in general music. I only student taught in a high school. Um, I did band and choir and that counted. So I really had no idea what I was doing. And um, my first day, I just came home and, and dad said, so how was your first day? And I just broke down. It was rough. Um, I didn't know about classroom management. I didn't know that you can make art in elementary school and make beautiful music yet. So it took a couple of years to get going. But the thing that was the saving grace is that um, I was able to have you girls go to school at that elementary school. And so even though I was working mom, um, you got to come to school with me and got to be my students. And that's like, that's priceless. So uh, what I gave up for um, professional maybe satisfaction, um, I made up with that, um, having you girls be there and then learning, you know what? Um, even though they're looked down upon, elementary general music teachers are sheroes and heroes. That doing that job, you're teaching everything from the ground up, day one. And so when you get that fifth grade choral concert to sound so beautiful, it's because you built those skills every single year. You taught them solfege. They learned all those body rhythms and how to play the ORF instruments on time and all that. That all feeds into choral artistry. And um, I was able to get some choral artistry by directing the elementary honors choir at the time. And I instituted a policy where we'd had blind auditions because up to that date, our elementary honor choirs were almost all white and our school district was really not. And that was um, a, a big change that I'm super proud of. So those were some of the sacrifices um, that I made in terms of career. I think... Um, I didn't keep up with my um, performing per se, but I 
did keep up that enough that I still do it, right? So we have seasons in our lives. And so now if I want to play the horn, I go play the horn. If I want to go play the piano, I play the piano. So um, yeah, instead I was taking you all to piano lessons and we know that that was some effort there. <laughs> it was a challenge for everyone involved. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that was such a beautiful answer, mom. So we just uh, heard a little bit about her journey, um, including a stint in general music. I think it was about 13 years, if I'm not. It was 12 years. Mm -hmm. yeah, it was pretty close. Um, and I remember many a dishwasher full of recorders. Um, that was always a special season at home where we just brought them all in and we washed them and we put them back together. And that was always a fun family project. Um, but most importantly, I remember how special it was and how cool it was that every morning I got to go to school with mom. And so those are memories that I will never forget. Um, and every once in a while, we'd stop by the McDonald's drive through to get breakfast, um, which is a big deal when you're in elementary school. So it was uh, pretty incredible to have that time together. And I know it's something I hope for with my kids one day. So um, we would love to know about timing, mom. So you talked a little bit about timing, um, with your children and some professional goals, but specifically what inspired you to return to school to pursue your doctorate in choral conducting? Well, I kind of alluded to it a little bit before. Uh, I, I just wanted to grow and learn. I've always liked school, which is so weird, I know, but um, I've always liked school. Um, and as I was taking my conducting lessons and getting better, um, it, the teacher said, you know, we've got this new program and we've got some flexibility in there for working professionals. Why don't you give it a try? And um, so I did, and I went back to school at 51 and I started my doctorate. It was very energizing. Um, you may say, well, how did you do that while you were working? Well, part of this plan, strategic plan, was that I had um, moved from the elementary school into the central office for um, four years and was working where I could take some days off and I didn't need a sub and I could... Um, um, it, you know, substitute those days for later in the year. So I was able to go in for some of the classes, other classes, um, like the conducting lessons um, could happen after hours and such. So um, I, I just really loved being in that environment. It made me feel young again to be um, with other younger people learning. There were even older people there because, um, you know, in the state of Virginia, you can take free classes at your local university after you're retired. And uh, that's something that I think I will look into. Um, in the process, I discovered that um, I really loved um, the school part of it, not just the conducting lessons. I, I loved learning choral repertoire. Um, I loved research. And so that and led me to my uh, book of a dissertation on um, a piece that not many people knew very well, um, the Schoenberg de Profundis, which is powerful. And um, I feel like through my research, I was able to resurrect it a little bit. It hasn't been performed tons, but it has been a couple of times. And in the new edition, I corrected an error that meant that the whole um, timing of the piece, since this is about timing, um, changed. And Schoenberg was an, into numerology. And for him, the timing and where this particular point fell at the golden mean uh, was really important. So I feel like I helped restore um, Schoenberg's art of the last piece that he got to complete. 
I think that's for sure true. And you've been invited, you were invited recently, mom, by who to attend a performance of the work, right? Which was uh, rescheduled because of COVID mm-hmm. by the invitation. Yeah, it didn't it. happen because of COVID, but um, it was slated to be performed at the um, annual celebration of the liberation of Auschwitz. And so it was It was in, um, not. it was outside of Krakow, Poland. And so there's a, well, a professional choir, they're planning to perform it. So I hope that now that they have the music, um, that they'll schedule another performance that I can get to uh, to go in here. And also, if you missed it, uh, she uh, took the book of a dissertation and made it into a smaller chunk for the Choral Journal and was a featured cover story on the Choral Journal a few years ago. So you can always go back into the archives if you just want to take a little peek um, before you dive in on ProQuest uh, to read the hundreds of pages of information, which are all incredible. And instead of going to ProQuest, you could actually just go to my website because I have I have it linked right there. And there are one or two updates that I've made since then. We love an update. <laughs> oh, all right. So for our next question, um, could you talk about being married to another musician, which is particularly relevant for your other daughter? Um And what are some challenges that come along with that? And what are some of the positive, amazing things? Okay, I love to talk about Paul. Um, Well, first of all, you have to know that because I played the French horn, I got to meet your dad because we met in a brass quintet at University of Akron. Uh, He dated just about every other horn player in the department, um, and I won out. Um, And so from the get-go... we were just together in music and um, in the same ensembles and we played together in the same orchestra in Israel because remember I said that the other trumpet player wasn't leaving for another year. So um, I will tell you that he and I um, don't see eye to eye on musical interpretation sometimes. And so when you're the first horn player and you're sitting next to the first trumpet player and there's a question about articulation or dynamics or tuning, um, sometimes we just had to leave that at work. And then when we came home, totally forget about it. Um, he's always been super supportive of my musical endeavors and helped me a lot. Like he, um, literally spliced together the, um, tape on the reel to reel tape that I made from an audition to send into Eastman. Um, he's, uh, drove me to Fredericksburg, uh, so I could conduct my really cool community choir there full of music teachers. It was an hour at least each way. And so he drove me so I could do my score study in the car and could practice and, and then in the end, he started singing in the choir. So that musical attribute was um, certainly welcome. I think that um, people think, oh, you're both musicians. You must uh, just you know, be musical all the time at home. And that is not the case. We hardly don't even play music at home, which drives my mom crazy when she comes to visit. We just have music in our heads all the time and all day long. So we don't do that at home. We're not the Von Trapp family. If they did that, I don't know. Um, I guess that we never were trying to get um, jobs at the same institution, but trying to get jobs as musicians in the same town can can be challenging. And so when he got um, offered a one-year position in Billings, Montana at a university there, of course, we moved there because that's what he was after. And um, it was time, it was his turn. So he got that job. And then there wasn't much in Billings, Montana for me. So I found a community college, get this 300 miles away. And it was a half-time job. 
And it didn't pay very much, but it was really wonderful. And I got to direct choir and jazz band and pep band and teach music appreciation in a halftime job, mind you. So um, I drove those 300 miles, which you can go 90 miles an hour out there in Billings. Fortunately, in Montana, there was no speed limit on highways. And then I would take half a day to get there. And I stayed in the basement of an elderly woman who grew up on the prairie who needed a companion part of the week. And um, somehow, while all that was happening for that year, I managed to get pregnant with McKenna and was doing that 300 drive in the blizzards as a pregnant lady going to do her job. Um, And so that's, you know, a sort of a side story, but when you're both musicians, sometimes you can't work in the same town. You know, sometimes you have to do a little, little um, fidgeting there, but then we were lucky enough once Paul got the job here in DC in the army band that being a metropolitan area, there were, um, there was more opportunity for me. And so that's when I started my career in Arlington public schools and spent 26 years there before he retired. And I decided to go teach with McKenna in um, Prince William County schools. Amazing. Quick follow-up. You mentioned getting pregnant with McKenna, which evidently was a little bit of a surprise um, and not necessarily <laughs> not necessarily like a plan. Um, of course, you guys had been wanting to have kids for a little while though, right? And then this fortuitous yes. baby came yeah, into your we life. Had, we had been wanting to have kids, um, you know, obviously not while we were in Israel, but when we got back, um, we thought, hey, we'd really like to start a family. But you know, there are all these things like he's in grad school, you know, uh, you know, are we really ready to do this thing? And so we decided yes, um, because we were getting older at the time. And so um, we tried and tried and tried and couldn't get pregnant. So when we were in Montana, I started doing some fertility treatments and um, went in and the doctor said, I'm so sorry, it, it didn't take this time. I think we can't do this anymore. Uh, it's time for you to, to think about other options, including adoption. And so it was like, okay, but actually I was pregnant at that visit and he missed it. And I oh was pregnant gosh. with McKenna. So she, we called her hero because um, she was the, um, the one that escaped, you know, that uh, <laughs> <laughs> was able to make it through. And so um, I was actually pregnant with her. And um, so I got pregnant at 30 and had her um, after I just turned 31, I think, which at the time they considered me very high risk. I was considered an older mom. And um, yeah, it was crazy. And then with Kira, uh, you know, four years later, we said, you know what? We should probably start trying again. Boom, there you were. So Right on time. One and done. (laughs) Some of us just take a little longer. (laughs) You both took plenty of time on your way out, let me tell you. (laughs) So sorry, Mom. Um, Uh, We love you. (laughs) So... Speaking about um, your amazing career and all of the things uh, that have come with your journey, what can you reflect on um, when you think back to your years of teaching um, that that has stayed consistent? And what is something that has changed? So something that you've noticed that has stayed consistent throughout your career in music education um, and also maybe something that's changed. Okay, well, I guess I have a couple of answers for that. Um, Back when I was learning to be a teacher, 
um, there was this phrase, don't smile till Christmas, and people really meant it. I didn't believe it, but I didn't have the classroom management skills yet to totally abandon that. So there was a lot more um, my way um, going on in the classroom than later on in um, in my career. So I had to really learn how to collaborate with students and to um, hear their voice and provide space for that to develop. I think um, in in the early days, there were no cell phones. And that's had a huge impact on education. Um, sometimes to the positive in terms of the tools and the things we can do with them. Sometimes not so much because literally, myself included, we are addicted to our phones and it is very hard to set those aside to have um, interactions that don't include them. It's like, for, for now, they're the third wheel, we need to leave them alone. Um, I think the thing that stayed the same is um, the connection that, that music can provide between people of all ages and experiences and the magic that it has to empower change in people's lives and communities and ultimately in the world. So that has not changed and it makes me so happy that um, you two are both in this career and can carry that forward because our world needs this. Uh, our people need it. Um, our students need it. No matter what age they are, I think they're seeking ways to find more about who they are. And everyone can learn more about that through music. If it's their, just something that they do for pleasure and how they listen to music, it will change after they've sung. And if it's just, they can sing their baby happy birthday and lullabies in a better way, you know, we've changed them. But I know that the families of the students that I taught were changed too through the process. So it's not just in the classroom, but we're really making an impact um, throughout the world. Mm, great answer. Yeah. Um, I had a question, but I'm going to skip it and jump ahead. Um, but really quick before I do that, would you, you touched on this, just talk about what it's like having a family that is entirely made of musicians. Like for our listeners, so both of our parents are musicians. McKenna and I are musicians. McKenna's husband is a musician. His parents and his sister are also musicians. So we've just got a whole uh, squad, if you will. Um, so will you talk a little bit, Mom, but about... I will throw in there that Kira's husband is not a musician in terms of career, although he did join the choir specifically to hang out with my sister in high school and to go on the spring trip. So trips matter, friends. Trips matter. Trips matter. That's how you get the Michael stars of the world in your choir. Um, <laughs> so I just, oh. I know from our perspective, mom, like I just so appreciate you and dad as a resource and, you know, not only as inspiration and obviously inc like just being incredibly pivotal in our careers because you showed us you can have a life as a musician and you can make it a career. And we sang since we were, you know, out of the womb because you were there and that's just what we did as a family. Um, but would you talk about it from your perspective? W what is it like? Well, I think it's really fun. Um, I love it. I love that connection that we all have. We can, we literally speak that language and um, we can really appreciate each other's work in a, in a way that's different than 
you just love it because a family member did it and you know they're passionate about it. We can really listen and say, wow, did you hear that phrasing? You know, did you hear that way that they were um, you know, connecting on stage with the movement that they were doing? And it we appreciate it because we speak that language. Um I think um, it's also fun, although we don't listen to music here, you know, at home. We did make the Klontz family uh, Christmas album for the years. <laughs> we have some precious footage. Oh, ever. <laughs> um, and so it gave us a way to like, you know, connect that way and do, do some things together, some projects together. We were always... Um, doing somebody else's music theory homework, I think. Not doing it, but enjoying it with them. <laughs> Sometimes doing it. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, helping with the, you know, huge choral lit study test, whether it was you helping me or me helping you. Um, helping with papers was fun. I know one time that um, I think, I mean, how did it go? Like, you were connecting with me and I was up in the middle of the night writing a paper. What was that about? Do you remember? Yes, I remember um, when I was in high school, I have a problem to this day of being able to stop when something is not complete or I feel like I haven't done my best. And so in high school, my parents, um, specifically my mom would always say, McKenna, you just need to stop and this is as good as it's going to get. You need to go to bed and get some sleep. And I remember it was like midnight and I was just sending my mom a quick text when I was at college and said, all right, mom, like, good night. Uh, hope, hope you have a great day tomorrow or something. And she was like, I'm awake. I'm still working on my paper. I'm loving this paper. What a fun time. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And I was like, well, you know, mom, sometimes it's okay to just do your best and go to bed. So <laughs> we have always been able to um, support each other in these endeavors and also remind each other that it is okay to keep working towards something. It does not have to be perfect right away. Yes. Like very, very well said. I think some fun and funny things too about us all being musicians would be um, when Kira was learning to play the oboe. Yeah, McKenna was practicing her piccolo inside Ugh. the house. We all suddenly just needed to go take a walk. <laughs> Well, how else would I become a superior marching band member? <laughs> I don't understand the issue still. <laughs> yeah. I think the thing that could have made uh, our family life even better was a practice room or two in our house. Um, <laughs> even now, um, we have a beautiful sort of open layout and music just, you know, it wafts through the house. We hear a combination of trumpet and French horn and voice and piano. And we also... Um, have a, a a friend who who lives with us and he um, plays the trumpet. So sometimes we we just get everybody in on the act. But it was good on the whole. It was very good. <laughs> we love that. <laughs> All right. So we have one closing question for you, Mom. Before we do our fast five, which are quick five minute five questions that we end the podcast with for each person. Um, so just really quick, last full answer. If you had just one piece of advice to give to other females pursuing a career in the arts, what would it be? Oh, just one. Just one piece of advice. Since you're our mom, yeah. you can get two, but nobody <laughs> can get two. Only you. I would say that um, my two are, you need to do whatever it is that lets you be you. 
And then you need a really good friend or colleague who will pull you back just enough to keep your job. So you need to really be you, but then somebody that's able to say, okay, so I believe in you and this is really great. Or somebody that can say, this is this is how I would craft it to get in the door to the next place. Because if you, I don't know, if you're like me, you can get really passionate sometimes. And if you feel like you haven't had your fair shake, it's easy to go over the edge a little bit. So um, learning how to be politically correct has been a challenge for me. <laughs> I don't think any of our listeners can probably relate to that as fellow coral conductors. <laughs> and as fellow women or those who know women, mm -hmm. who have supported women or, um, you know, are in the many various communities that re relate to feminism. So I think a lot of people will connect with that for sure. And I'm going to I'm going to take a third just because your mom, I'm your mom. <laughs> So <laughs> I've been, you know, just kind of noodling around on Indeed, looking for jobs for you all, sometimes looking for jobs for me. And um, there was one from a, a temple here in the area, and it said that we want everyone to apply. And we're saying out there to you women that we research says that you don't apply to a job unless you feel like you fit it. 100%. And we're saying that nobody ever fits a job 100% and we want you to apply. Mm, so well said. So well said. I've encountered that exact feeling myself. So I, yeah, sometimes you just need to go for it. And a lot of times um, you need the friend to support you and going for it. So I think that from being a part of this musical family, we can relate to that even more on the musical level, which has been really special. Um, and for those of you who might not have that, who feel like you are alone in that, welcome to the family. You've got resources right here <laughs> and we are here for you. Um, so we have our fast five questions coming your way. So these are quick answers. Uh, you, you know, you're welcome to spend a little bit of time to think about them if you need. Um, but really, these are just for our listeners to get a little insight into your world right now. So can you share your favorite current choral octavo or a composer recommendation, someone that um, has been exciting to you of late? I will always say Andrea Ramsey is a go-to for me. I love everything that she has written. I love Elaine Hagenberg. I love Jocelyn Hagen. Yes. Great Lots names. of amazing people. <laughs> love it. All right. Fast five, number two. What is one misconception about you, Mom? Oh. Um, I think that some people think that because I am on the older side in my career, that I am maybe not that good. And that's a misconception. Absolutely a misconception. She is also the most technolo technologically advanced person in our family. So <laughs> age is not a, age is nothing but a number. <laughs> age is nothing but a number. Um, so what is one word to describe you on the podium. Oh. Hmm. Full of feelings. Emotional. Mm, that's a good Emotional. one. That's a good one. Um, number four. What is a favorite choral memory? Hmm. 
Um, oh gosh, there are just so many. Um, one of my favorite choral memories was when I took uh, my Washington Lee High School group to perform in the Cathedral of St. John the Divine in New York City. And just how spectacular it was to sing in that venue. And they just sounded so beautiful. That's a great one. And lots of um, people in our lives from that choral community who were babysitters and now friends. <laughs> and uh, amazing to see how music can create those lifelong connections. And that's something you really put on display for us in such a wonderful way. Um, so to close out our fast five, um, would you share one choral blooper? So something um, <laughs> funny that maybe the people need to know about. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so in um, in the Washington Lee High School, we had a jazz choir that I started after school. We had these sequin jackets. We were so cool at the time. And I had a sequin dress and it was kind of yeah, form-fitting, probably not very appropriate at all. For the friends out there. <laughs> and so... Um, there were chords because we had amps and we had, you know, microphones, all sorts of things. And so one of the chords had not been taped down. So as I came out, my heel caught on the cord and me in that beautiful fancy dress went face planting onto the stage. The entire auditorium went, <gasps> and then um, I got up and I said, I'm perfectly fine. Let's go on. <laughs> it was very embarrassing. Very embarrassing. Oh. Mm -hmm. Wow. I what a model for your students of how to fall down and get back up again. Literally right there. <laughs> these, Literally. these are the moments that make us human. So we love to hear them. <laughs> that was a I have a lot of leader. human moments. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did not talk about this um, beforehand. And if you want, we can edit this out. But I think we should make a, a, a little bit of a shameless plug that should you be looking for someone amazing to come in and hang out with your choirs, um, we may have one retired public school teacher who is available to do some clinicking. Uh, do you want to talk about that? Sure, because by the time this comes out, um, the students will know that um, after a total of 36 years, and I'm counting that year I taught in Israel. You should. That was, that was I, I think I can count that one. Oh, yeah. I am going to start a new chapter in my life and retire here. Um, and and uh, there will be lots of opportunities for me to come and visit lots of people, whether that be personally or professionally. And some of the things that I love to do are to um, guest conduct, clinic choirs. Um, I am involved in something called creative motion, which is a variant of Dalcro's Eurythmics, but one that um, focuses more on how the inside motion and energy flow into the outside. So I'd love to bring that um, to your place. And I'm going to get back into composing. If you'd like to say, hey, I'd love to do a new piece. Um, I'm just going to start writing and I'm not even just necessarily going to say you need to pay me. I'll just say, would you like to perform my piece? So those are some things I'm looking forward to. I'm excited. Um, I wasn't at first. I, I still have times when I'm like, oh gosh, but we have to know in life where the phrases are. And that's also a part of creative motion, the energetic um, 
examples that we have in our life flow into music. I mean, a phrase has to have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and then a new one starts. Um, so we can't just keep pushing. We have to find a way to end one phrase gracefully before we start the next. And I hope that this podcast was a reminder of all of the other times in your life when you have done that. And it seamlessly has has worked itself out um, to bring you where you are. So I'm so excited for you. It has been a, a beautiful reminder and um, such a treat to be able to be here and share this time with both of my uh, wonderfully talented, beautiful daughters. And to know that um, whatever seeds were planted are blooming in full force in both of you. So <laughs> that's exciting. <laughs> Well, this has been an incredible episode, again, with the Dr. Mary Hannah Klontz, known to Kira and I as mom. Um, and we are just so excited to share out about her journey um, and are looking forward to sharing our entire first season with you. So if you haven't seen our social media, please check us out. We are at conduct.her.pod on Instagram um, and conduct.her on Facebook. So check us out, give us a like, give us a listen. Um, and we hope that this is creating a resource for you uh, to hear the journeys of some other incredible, inspirational musicians. Um, and we are just grateful for all of our interviewees and for all of you for listening. Thank you, mom, again for being a guest and indulging us with our questions. Um, we love you and you are amazing. Thank you. I love you both. And it's been such a treat. So I look forward to hearing your whole podcast series. Thanks so much for listening. This has been Conductor. Conductor.